Alright guys, welcome on in. It is time for our Week 8 Recap and Reaction Show. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. As always, it is great to be here with you for another week as we look back on the week that was in the conference. And uh, by the way, we're brought to you by mybookie.com. Use our promo code big 12 for all of your bets. And by the way, when you use that promo code, you double your first time deposit at mybookie.com. You can't beat it. They've been great partners of ours for a long time. And for the NFL, um, college football bets, we are eight and four, by the way, the last few weeks. So we're off, we're rocking and rolling. And we are here with you recapping another busy week in the Big 12 Conference. So let's get right to it, and let's go in order of these games. And we're going to start with, where do we want to start? I mean, all the games have really good storylines. Let's start with Kansas State, Texas Tech. K-State comes back to beat Texas Tech 25-24 to over the weekend. And this was a game that Texas Tech had jumped out to a 14-0 lead in early. They were also up uh, 21-7 early in that game. And then... K-State outscored Texas Tech. Do that math with me. 18-3 to the rest of the way. I mean, it, this is the kind of game, first off, if you're Matt Wells, this is the kind of game that you look back on and say, boy, this gets your seat really hot. This gets you possibly fired if you're Matt Wells. Now, I don't mean this game in particular, but... If you look at the schedule the rest of the way for Texas Tech, they are not going to be favored in any of their games. They still have to play the Oklahoma schools, Baylor, and Iowa State. So they're not going to be favored in any of these games. And I sit here now and I say to myself, okay, uh, Texas Tech may go from 5-2 and two in the Big 12 to 5-7 and seven in, in uh, this year. And if they go 5-7, and seven, they're not making a bowl game. And if they end the season with five straight losses after starting off 5-2, and two, uh, Matt Wells... I don't know if he's going anywhere, but he's certainly going to have a lot of people calling for his job. A lot of people calling for his job. And that's one of those things where you say to yourself, okay, who else do you go for, right? Like, who's the next person at Texas Tech? I don't think that person is out there, which is why I never like going to, you know, predicting guys are going to lose their job or should lose their job. But I understand Tech fans, if this thing really does unravel from here, being able to say, you know, we've got a cause. We've got a reason. He's lost five straight. If he won yesterday, then he gets to a bowl game. And if Matt Wells gets to a bowl game this year, it would have been pretty hard to fire the guy. If he goes from 5-2 and two to 5-7 and seven and misses a bowl game, then you're going to have a case to be made there if you're um, angry Texas Tech fans. And that's what this game was more about. I, like, this game to me was not about Kansas State masterfully putting together some great game plan. It, it wasn't. I mean, Skylar Thompson, by the way, great leadership, played really well, played an efficient game, did all those things that you want him to do. But it was not one of those moments where I said, boy, K-State just really uh, turned it around. They, they adjusted in game well. I didn't feel that way about Kansas State. I kind of felt like Texas Tech collapsed in this game. Now, if you're K-State, you're not going to apologize for that, right? You started off the year with three straight Big 12 losses, even though the schedule was front-loaded. Chris Kleiman desperately needed this one, not because he's in any trouble. I don't think he is or should be, 
but just to kind of get that monkey off his back. He had lost eight straight Big 12 games dating back to last year. He had that horribly awkward moment with the media this week when he's like, I need you guys to be more positive. And everyone was like, uh, dude, it's your job to win games, and then that's how we get more positive. Like, that's how this works, coach. You win games, and then we're positive. All right? We're not positive while you're in the middle of an eight-game Big 12 losing streak. Sorry, that's not what we do in the media. So that was an awkward moment for Chris Kleiman, no doubt about it. So then he gets out to this game, and he's down 14 nothing, and you're like, oh, my goodness, this is not the start that Chris Kleiman needed. To his credit, team came back, won the game, and uh, you know they're on the board with a win in the Big 12. That's exactly what you're looking for. If, um, if you're Chris Kleiman, if you're Kansas State football and everything else that's going on right now for this team. So it's a good place to be. On Instagram Live, 364 days since we won a Big 12 football game before 11 a.m. yesterday. Yeah, that, that is uh, it's not where you want to be. But the schedule is front-loaded. So I think Kansas State's going to be at a good spot come the end of the year. All right, I, I feel pretty good about where this thing is going to go from there. So just, just hang tight, and let's see how Kansas State plays out the rest of the way. All right, elsewhere, what do we got? Uh, we'll go to the Oklahoma game next. All right, the Oklahoma Sooners go to Lawrence, Kansas as a 38-point favorite. 38-point favorite. And they almost blew it. They almost blew it. They were down 10 nothing at the halftime. I don't know what the odds were on KU football holding the Oklahoma Sooners scoreless in the first half. But if you place that bet... I hope like hell you are on an island somewhere enjoying your life because that, those odds must have been absolutely unbelievable. And if you bet it, you're a genius and you should never work another day again in your life. I mean, that's how insane those odds must have been. But it was Kansas leading Oklahoma 10 nothing at the half. I'm not sure if you saw this, by the way, but in the third quarter, while KU was up 17-7, to they announced that basically anybody could come to the game. All right? So they said, hey, you want to come to this game? Come on in. Enjoy it. We're here for you. You're going to have a grand old time. And people started showing up from around Lawrence. It was free to get into the game if you could get to the game itself. But then Oklahoma started turning things on. And here's here's the moment that's obviously getting talked about. The moment that's getting talked about is on fourth and one, Around midfield, Caleb Williams, the Oklahoma quarterback, true freshman quarterback, who has obviously taken Norman by storm, he uh, hands the ball off to Kennedy Brooks. Kennedy Brooks then starts to run for a first down, but he's not close to getting the first down. What happened after that? Caleb Williams ripped the ball out of his hand and then ran for a first down. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I've never seen anything like that. But that's what happened. And it was one of those moments where you said to yourself, wait, was that legal? What happened? I mean, are we sure that he can do that? And the answer was still, it seems like nobody knows. Now, let's go through it breakdown by breakdown because what happened ultimately after that is, oh, you got the first down, they scored a touchdown, they win 35-23. And to be clear, there's no guarantee that... If KU got the ball back at around midfield, they would have, you know, 
gone on to score a game-winning touchdown or anything along those lines. So, like, this whole idea, you know, that, well, KU would have won, we don't know that. Did KU deserve a chance to win that game? Yes. But here's what the Big 12 said about that play. The Big 12 put out a statement from the football um, uh, coordinator of football officials, Greg Burke. And he said, the reviewable aspects of the play were positioned, were position of the ball in uh, relation to the line of scrimmage, and if possession was ever lost by the offense. He said the ball never crossed the line of scrimmage, and there was never a loss of possession, not a fumble, so the play was a forward handoff behind the line of scrimmage. Now, there's some debate as to whether or not Kennedy Brooks got beyond the line of scrimmage. All right, that's, that is debatable. But what got overlooked by these Big 12 officials is whether or not the play should have been called dead. Because you saw Kennedy Brooks hit a couple of defenders. He got pushed back two yards. And they never blew the play dead. His forward progress was stopped. And that is, I believe, that's the strongest argument that KU fans have in saying this was bogus. The play should have been blown dead. The forward progress was stopped. And after that, basically, Caleb Williams ripped the ball out of his hand. It was not a handoff, by the way. Uh, the, best, the best explanation pushing back on this that I saw was done by NBC rules analyst Terry McCauley, a longtime NFL official. And if you look on heartlandcollegesports.com, you can see the article that we wrote that explained what Terry McCauley said. If you want to go read that, go to heartlandcollegesports.com, scroll down the Big 12 news, and you can see Terry McCauley's explanation on why the Big 12 got this whole thing wrong. So you can find that there for yourself. If you want to go find it, if you want to go check it out, uh, please go do that right now on the website. But part of what he said is that the runner was held and driven back at least two yards prior to losing control of the ball. It should have been declared dead and short of the line of game. That is not reviewable. The next issue is whether or not this is even a handoff or a fumble. And then he goes on to explain why it should not have been called a handoff. So it's, it gets a little complex. You can go read about it on the website, and I suggest that you do that because that's what everybody's talking about, of course, coming out of this game yesterday for Oklahoma. I would have loved to have seen Kansas get a chance to win that game at the end, but of course it just uh, it wasn't in the cards for the Jayhawks. But you got to give Lance Leipold's team's credit. I mean, think about these guys. It's a dreary, gloomy Saturday morning in Lawrence. You've got the top five ranked Oklahoma Sooners coming to town uh, in a game that you're a 38-point underdog in. And what do they do? Uh, They go out there and they give them an absolute run for their money. Uh, It's just real kudos to those Kansas Jayhawks and the way they played on Saturday. And, you know, it's easy to rip on KU. We do it. It's, you know, it's fun to do. But when they deserve props, we're going to give them props here on the show. And Kansas football deserves props. A lot of props. All right. So uh, next up this week, we're going to talk about this uh, Oklahoma State-Iowa State game. Holy cow, that was one of the games of the year, was it not? Wow, that was fun. So where do we begin? Well, let's begin with the Big 12 officials, all right? Because they had a bad game in in Lawrence. They had a bad game in Ames. That unsportsmanlike conduct call against Xavier Hutchinson on that touchdown was the absolute worst unsportsmanlike conduct call 
I have ever seen watching any level of football. If you haven't seen that, you can also see the video up on our website. But that was an absolute embarrassment. Absolute embarrassment for those officials. Now, what happened, 51-yard strike, Brock Purdy, Xavier Hutchinson over the middle, going towards the end zone, and he maybe, maybe high-stepped on like his last step into the end zone. They called it an unsportsmanlike conduct, a spot foul. It took the touchdown off the board and pushed him back 15 yards. Now, Iowa State ended up, of course, winning the game and scoring on that drive. But if they did not score a touchdown on that drive and they possibly lost that game over that unsportsmanlike conduct call, nobody's going to remember it because they won the game. But if they had not won the game, that would have gone down as one of the worst calls in college football history, bar none. That's how bad that call was. Uh, Scotty writes on Instagram Live, regardless, the wide receiver for Iowa State should have concentrated on running normally to the end zone and not taunting or high-stepping. Come on, Scotty. That, that was not taunting. Y- y- you know better than that. I mean, you know, jeez. Don't get your panties all wrapped up on a Sunday here. That was that was not taunting. Guy maybe did a half a high step on his last step into the end zone. Don't, let's not be ridiculous. I mean that's that's crazy. Now it won't matter because Oklahoma State lost the game, Iowa State won the game, but holy cow, that was a terrible call. Absolutely terrible call. And then we go to the last play of the game. Brennan Presley on the catch from Spencer Sanders on a fourth down, trying to keep that drive alive, and whether or not the spot was right. All right? Here's what I, here's what I think. Here's what bothers me the most. The fact that we've got an undefeated season on the line, and the best angle we could have of this, of this potential spot play was a 45-degree angle from the stands. Like, Big Fox was doing that game. How do we not get a better angle of whether or not that spot was right? How is that possible? How is that possible that that's the best we can do on whether or not that spot was right? I mean, it's crazy to me. Like, Jeff Bezos is going to space with his buddies, and that was the best angle we could get on that that spot? Jeez. So... I know everyone's going to have their opinion on whether or not the spot was right on Brendan Presley, but I'll say this, just like the KU game, there's no guarantee that Oklahoma State gets the points it needs to force overtime and win the game. We we, we don't know that. We don't know that. Obviously, Mike Gundy said he thought it was a bad spot. What else is Mike Gundy going to say? He should say he thought it was a bad spot. But at the same time, you know, uh, what I also saw was the potential that an Oklahoma State player pulled Presley a little bit and you cannot pull a guy you can push a guy you cannot pull a guy and if that's the case then you know if they were truly calling the play right then maybe the spot wouldn't have mattered because you can't pull a guy anyway on the offensive side you can push you cannot pull so I you know I I don't sit here and say oh terrible spot I, I don't know and by the way you can't use the yellow line that you see on tv to determine whether or not the spot was right. That is an estimate. That's what that yellow line is on TV. So I know there's a lot of screenshots of the yellow line. The yellow line can't tell the whole story. It doesn't tell the whole story. Uh, But hey, 
Like, I, I don't look at this game and say Oklahoma State lost it. I mean, th- this was just such a good game. That might have been my favorite game of the year thus far in the Big 12. That was so fun based on what was on the line, who was playing. Uh, the enthusiasm at Jack Trice was unbelievable. Although I got a rib you Iowa State fans. You can't storm the field. You're preseason top 10. You were favored by seven points. You can't storm the field. I mean, I'll defend Xavier Hutchinson all day long. I'll say the spot wasn't necessarily, you know, a horrible call. I didn't feel like there was an angle to prove that. But you can't store the field. And I'm not being an old man here. I got so much flack on social media yesterday for saying don't storm the field. Like, oh, old man on porch. Like, no, I'm, I'm a millennial here. I'm not an old man on my porch, but come on, you got to know the moment. You got to know your surroundings. If you want to be a team that's arrived as contenders year in, year out, you don't storm the field as a seven-point favorite uh, when you were preseason top 10. I'm not trying to take away anybody's fun. You know, you can have fun in the stands, high-fiving your buddies. I just, I'm just saying, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of storming the field in that spot. All right, you got to know kind of the storyline and the story in general for Iowa State and where things are at right now. So I'm not going to make a huge deal out of it, but I'm just going to say, didn't love the field storming there. Five years ago, okay, the program's not there anymore. You're in a different spot. So let's, you know, does Ohio State storm the field after they win a game as a seven-point favorite? I don't think so. I don't, does Alabama do that? I don't think so. So that's, that's kind of, I'm not saying you're at that level yet, but, you know, that's the kind of mindset you want to have sometimes. So that's, that's where my opinion is on that. But Brock Purdy played his best game of the year. Brock Purdy was outstanding. It is Brocktober. This dude is just absolutely lights out this month every stinking year. The Cyclones are 16-2 and in October, dating back to 2017. And to compare Brock Purdy last month to this month, in the month of September, Brock Purdy threw four touchdowns, four interceptions. The team went two and two. This month in three games, Brock Purdy has thrown seven touchdowns, zero picks, and completed 82% of his passes. Absolutely phenomenal what this guy does. I mean, if, if, if I'm an NFL GM, here's what I do. All right. I don't know if Brock Purdy is going to be a star in the NFL or even a starter in the NFL for that matter. I would lean towards no. But what I would do is I'd draft him in like the seventh round and I would just start him in October and then put him back on the bench. That's what I do. All right. Obviously, that's tongue in cheek, but hey, crazier things have happened. So uh, Iowa State is right now back in the Big 12 mix. You have three teams tied at two, uh, three and one, tied for second place in the Big 12. Oklahoma's undefeated. Then you've got Baylor, Oklahoma State, and uh, Iowa State, all three and one in Big 12 play. It is going to be a fun race to the finish between these three teams. I can't wait to see it play out. Um, and Iowa State is hitting its stride, but it still has got to burn you if you're an Iowa State fan. More so the Baylor loss than the Iowa loss. All right, that's that's what they should do. Uh, that's 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 understandable. If you're still sitting there and you're an Iowa State fan and you're ticked off, I'd be more ticked off about the Baylor game than it would be the the Iowa game. That's me. And then last but not least, and also Oklahoma State fans, don't don't be down. First loss of the season. Turn around, uh, pick up a couple of wins. Maybe you can beat Oklahoma this year. I mean, there's a novel concept for Mike Gundy, and you're still playing for a Big 12 title. 
Oklahoma State fans should still feel very good about this team and its chances of getting to Arlington for at least a Big 12 championship appearance. And who knows, maybe more. It's been a crazy year in college football, so maybe more. Last game, but not least. TCU getting smoked by West Virginia at home 29-17. The alarm bell should be going off in Fort Worth. All right, the alarm bell should be going off in Fort Worth. They are 3-4 and four now in the year. They are 1-3 in the Big 12. Over the last 31 games, TCU is 13-18 and 18 in the Big 12 in their last 31 Big 12 games. Yes, the defense is terrible. And that's what makes this so much more frustrating for TCU and its fan base. This is not Gary Patterson football. The defense is a mess. They lost the turnover battle 3 0 on, on Saturday, and they had more penalties than their opponent. TCU is staring straight down the barrel of a fourth straight mediocre season, despite the fact that they've recruited, on average, as about the third best team in the Big 12 behind Oklahoma and Texas. I mean, it's just unacceptable. And Gary Patterson's got a statue outside of the stadium, so I'm not sitting here saying, you fire Gary Patterson, but I'm not saying you do that. But TCU's allowed to have hard questions asked about this football program right now. You're sitting right there in the hub of the Metroplex, enormous amount of talent, you got a Hall of Fame coach, and you're looking at four straight mediocre seasons. That's just unacceptable for this team and for this program. And, you know, Gary Patterson, I know he's not someone that really has been criticized much by anybody over the last nearly two decades, but it's fair to criticize where this program is and what they're doing on the field and what they're not doing on the field right now. I mean, West Virginia, I don't think West Virginia is very good. And Jared Daigie looked like a guy that, you know, could be starting on Sundays with the way he played yesterday. I was like, that's the best that Jared Daigie has looked in his life, maybe since Pee Wee football. Jarrett Daly was slinging it around against TCU. I was like, who the heck is this guy? That was just crazy to watch. Like, this is not the Jarrett Daly that anyone's seen the last year and a half of football in the Big 12. But, you know, you play TCU now, and all of a sudden you look great. Letty Brown's ripping in touchdowns left and right. Like, I, I really don't buy into West Virginia being that good. But they looked really good yesterday because TCU is that porous, especially on the defensive side of the ball. It is a bad, bad look. But Neil Brown needed that one. I'm not saying, just like a lot of these coaches, Neil Brown is not going anywhere. West Virginia fans who think that they're moving on from Neil Brown, I mean, it's not happening, and nor should it. But just to get some of these fans off his back, going on the road, beating TCU, that was was good. And now they've got uh, Iowa State this weekend. That's going to be, like, I don't think it's going to be a great game, but... It is going to be uh, fun because any time I feel like you've had some really good games between um, uh, West Virginia and Iowa State, and I don't know if this weekend's going to be that one. I think that Iowa State is a far, far better team. But hey, crazier things have happened in Morgantown, so why the heck not? Let's see how it plays out. So there you go, recapping um, Week Eight. I can't believe it. Week Eight in the Big Twelve Conference. Crazy, absolutely crazy. If you're on the podcast, leave that rating and review. I'll show these uh, new koozies off on Instagram Live. So we, we upgraded the koozies since we're killing it this year. We upgraded the koozies, higher-end quality stuff. Get one right now by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. We've got now 500 and some odd ratings uh, on there. So do that. 
Get a free koozie in the mail. Send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo. That's M-U-N-D-O at heartlandcollegesports.com. We are continuing to have, this may be a record month from you guys. I mean, we're talking about possibly um, reaching a million, a million people around the Big 12 between the website, the podcast, video, and more. So that's courtesy of you guys spreading the word about what we're doing to think about where this site was, you know, five years ago. And now where it is today, I, I, I really can't thank you guys enough for being part of that and helping grow this thing. And it hasn't happened overnight. It's just happened one day at a time. So a lot of good written content up on the site as well here on a Sunday. And we will talk to you guys soon. Don't forget about our friends, by the way, at MyBookie. You want to place those Big 12 bets or NFL bets. They are doubling your first time deposit with our promo code BIG12. That's BIG12 at mybookie.com. Picks went 2 and 2 yesterday, 8 and 4 the last 3 weeks. So, picking back up. I like where things are at. All right, you guys have a great day and we'll talk to you soon. Right here on heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm Pete Mundo. Take care.